Hi, my name is Hannah Southall. I've been following Jesus since I was three years old, and it is such a joy to tell you of his faithfulness. I grew up at the Heights. I ate those weird pink wafer cookies in the nursery, stole more than a healthy amount of mints from the front desk, and I tripped up the stairs to the youth room. I grew up in this church. I also broke into a sweat every time the pastor ever mentioned the M-word. You know, missions. I, at seven years old, pictured myself leaving my best friend Michaela to go live out the rest of my adolescent days in some hut in Africa fighting cobras. I was not about it. Um, So you may understand then that the night before our youth group mission trip to Italy found 16-year-old me face down on my bed sobbing. I was certain the plane was going down and that this was my last safe night in my comfy house with my sweet family. I liked my life. But the first day of ministry in Italy, something changed. Walking off the piazza where we played soccer with some new Italian friends, I remember thinking, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. From that moment on, something changed. I couldn't look at the world the same way anymore. The next summer found me in my new favorite place in the world. I still wax poetic about its bumpy roads shot through with sunflower fields. It's a place I've laughed long, pitting cherries in the kitchen, playing duck duck goose with a belt, and wrestling with God. I still call it home. I knew I wanted to be a missionary, and I knew where. But God sent me into enemy territory, or so I thought. But then I sat down with Masha and Nastya, and we've labored together for the Lord who unites us through his death on the cross. I prayed over chicken nuggets with Olya to the one who gives grace unmeasured and overflowing to pay a debt we could never repay. And I've studied the word with with Svieta, and we've watched her marvel at God's word, which she was afraid to read just months earlier. I've danced on the metro to her text that said that she would like to ask God to know him better. Oh, friends, I've seen his faithfulness in ways I've never imagined, answered prayers and unexpected friendships, light in some of the darkest days I've ever known. In many ways, these two years have been a journey of staring into the darkness in my own heart, of uncovering another layer of just how fear and distrust creep in. It's been a journey of learning that the places I'd labeled as too dark and menacing and off-limits could never be too dark or menacing or off-limits for Jesus. Um, Because our God is not only just, but he's full of mercy, grace, and unfailing love for those of us who are in the darkness. So, friends, I just want to invite you along on this journey with me, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to comprehend fully. It's the perfect love that expels all fear. And it's my hope that by hearing my story, you will be encouraged to know the Father more, that you will know that He's faithful, that you will know that He is good and that He desires only good for you, that you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of early rains in spring. Thank you. Yeah, isn't that exciting? I've been asking this, just curious. How many of you here have uh, known Hannah since she's a baby and watched her grow up in this church? 
Yeah, quite a, quite a few of us, maybe a little less this service than the others, but uh, yes, Hannah is, is very much a part of the life of this church, and we're so excited to see how God is using her and what she's doing, and you know, folks, it's, it's on behalf of this family that she's out there in the field serving her Lord, and that makes us all faithful, that, that makes us all obedient when our, when our family is doing that. I want to have Hannah come on up uh, right now, and with Hannah is going to be the, the Gallaghers, they're going to join her also. The Gallaghers have been up here recently. So just to kind of put this all together, Hannah has been in the field for two years uh, serving in Eastern Europe, and uh, she's getting ready to leave tomorrow night. She'll go to some training uh, in Thailand, and then will return uh, at the beginning of the year in her new home in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. And just down the road, just a couple of hours by car, uh, is the, the Gallaghers who have been a part of this church family for uh, over 15 years now. They've served in a variety of ministries, taught. They've served on both of our campuses and uh, have just been a, a, a great part of the life of this church. And they serve in Venezia. And we've, we've had them up here before. They've been doing that now for about a year and a half. And uh, they're home right now because uh, a couple months ago, uh, Todd's father passed away. And so I know a lot of you have been praying for him. And uh, so that brought them back. And uh, he's been caring for his mom and just kind of guiding through that process. And of course, when you're a missionary, when you do come back to America, then you've got a whole bunch of other things you've got to get done while you're here. So they're getting ready to go back to the field also uh, this week, and I know there'll be some times where this all works together, and there's going to be some times where we all join you in what you're doing, so we're really excited about that. But as they're getting ready to head back, let's, uh, let's have a moment of prayer for them, okay? Lord, we come before you today, and uh, boy, we, we love Hannah, we love her family, we love what they've been in our church, what they mean to our church, uh, the Gallaghers, the same thing, Lord. They're such a special part of us, and we're so excited to send them out on behalf of this family to serve you, to advance your kingdom, and we pray your, your blessing and honor and, and favor on them toward those ends. Lord, I, specifically, I, I pray you would give them favor with their neighbors, give them favor with governing officials that they work with and, and through. Lord, give them favor with all that their work and ministry will, will bring them in contact with. And we pray, God, that they'll have great opportunity to share the gospel, to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God, Lord. I pray that you are their strength, you are their encouragement each and every day. I pray they know you as a mighty warrior by their side. And uh, Lord, I pray they know their church loves them. I, I, I pray they see in their church uh, prayers and support. And, and as we just said, people who come and join them in what they're doing for, for a week, for 10 days at a time, uh, helping advance the work there, Father. Lord, we ask in your blessing uh, that there would be opportunity for us, for them to come back in the future and be able to continue to share uh, what you're doing out there in the field through their lives. Lord, you go with them now, and we thank you for them, and, and we just ask they know uh, your love and blessing, they know our love and blessing. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you applaud them as they are heading out? And um, Hannah will be out in the concourse at the end of the service if you want to go by and greet her and 
learn a little bit more about her ministry and how you can be involved. The Gallaghers have been out in the concourse also uh, the last couple services, but this hour they are now going to, don't drive fast, you've got plenty of time, don't get a ticket for the Lord, okay? Uh, they're going to head over to our Midlothian campus because, as I said a moment ago, they, they were involved out there for several years and have a lot of friends they want to connect with before they head back. But, you know, I want to take just a quick second because it's really kind of unique what we just had standing right here and, and how you see giving take place in our church with these two families. So Hannah is a, uh, is, a, is a full-time missionary with the International Mission Board. She went for a two-year stint. It was just a two-year stint. But as she's come back, she now is going full-time. It's, it's open-ended. There's no end date. Um, and so she's going full-time with the International uh, Mission Board. We support the International Mission Board. We do that by, uh, and if you're new to Southern Baptist life, it's called cooperative program giving. And what that basically means, this is where Southern Baptists all cooperate together in pulling resources to, to make seminaries, to send missionaries on the field, a, a variety of other things. But uh, we send almost 5% of our entire budget goes to cooperative program giving. And over half of that goes to the International Mission Board. So when you're just giving to general budget here at the church, that in part puts somebody like Hannah onto the field and and covers the resources it needs to have her on the field. Now, the Gallaghers are a little bit different. They also are are with the International Mission Board. But And I'm, I'm pretty sure this is not right, the right word, but they're more like freelance missionaries. So the International Mission Board trained them the International Mission Board provides for their uh, health care, but, but then that's, that's it. And so as far as actually moving to and living on the field, uh, then they, they raise support from that, from, from a variety of churches, from, from individuals. As a matter of fact, I, 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 we do. I know a lot of you do. Uh, you can actually go to our church, our, our app, uh, for giving, and you can actually choose to give directly to Todd and Veronica. You, you, you can give right to their work and their ministry there. But I know a lot of us also, we just give to missions. You know, we give some amount to the general budget. We give another amount to, to missions. When you give to missions, now, general budget supporting Hannah, right? But when, you're just, when you give to missions specifically, we use that to to provide for the mission work we do right here at the Heights. We support what Southern Baptists are doing, but we also have a lot going on that's just right out of our church family, whether that's putting people like Gallagher's on the field long-term or helping you take a short-term trip and all the resources that go with a trip like that. So both places you're giving to missions, but that is done a little bit differently. And I thought with both of them standing up here, it provides a good illustration of that. And believe it or not, it's kind of a good illustration to start our message because we're talking about missions today. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Eight, uh, if you're about, oh, I don't know, 90% through your Bible, after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll come up to Acts. And we are in Acts chapter 
8 today. If you're wondering why we're there, if you're new to our church, uh, in 2019, we've been doing a series through the whole Bible in 42 messages, and I think we're like on 38 or 39, so we're, we're, ta- we're taking it home here pretty soon, but uh, we, we have been working through the entire Bible, and that's what has us today in Acts chapter 8. Let me begin. By the way, I'm going to do two readings in Acts chapter 8, so I'm going to do a short one and set my Bible down, but don't close your Bible because I'm going to come back and do another reading. But Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Well, that doesn't sound like the start of a great mission story, does it? And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging The church. Boy, that's a harsh word. Do you even use that word very often? Man, Saul was ravaging the, the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So chapter 8 is a little bit here at the beginning, a little bit repetitive because it opens pretty much the same way chapter 7 closed. If you go to the end of chapter 7, you see there Stephen, the, the first martyr for the Christian faith, the first person to, to die for Jesus. You see him being executed. You see that it was done under the authority of Stephen. And then we, I'm not Stephen, done under the authority of Saul. And then we open chapter 8 and, it, and it's just kind of repeating that. And Saul executed him and, and this started this great persecution. And uh, man, it says there that he was ravaging the church. I mean, folks, literally, he was going from house to house, busting down front doors, grabbing husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, and, and carting them off to prison. And, and it says with all, I mean, you know, they've just seen a good friend, Stephen, die. Now they're, they're, they're seeing all these people arrested, and they begin to flee. They, they begin to, to to run away, for lack of a better word. Now, that doesn't mean they're denying Christ. Nowhere did it say there that to escape persecution, they denied knowing Jesus. Now, they, were, they did want to escape persecution. They did want to go live somewhere else with what was going on. And, and they, you know, this was um, not the beginning of the attack against the church. The church was born in Acts chapter 2. And immediately in chap, chapter 3, here comes the attack. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. There is a very harsh attempt to stop the church. To stop the gospel. But in chapter 3, 4, and 5, the attack was totally focused on the leaders. It was focused on the apostles. And they would arrest them. They would torture them. They'd threaten them and let them go. They'd arrest them. They'd torture them. They'd threaten them. And and they'd let them go. And what they were beginning to learn is, man, these dudes are willing to take it. I I, I mean, and and the apostles all but said in Acts chapter 4, hey, you do what you want to us. Bring it. You, you, you can kill us. We're not going to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And so as we come into chapter 7 and, and now chapter 8, it appears that the, the enemy, if you will, has, has changed strategies. Instead of going after the leadership, instead of going after the apostles, they've turned their attention to you. 
that they've turned their attention to the person in the pew. Let's go get them and see how the how the church does. And so, uh, and, and you see, the result of that is it, they start to scatter. They're not denying Christ, but they are scattering. You know, maybe a way to to picture this because these are people. They're, they're no different than you and me. What what goes on around their kitchen table is is no different. And, and so imagine, let, let's say, and this will kind of help you understand the geography too of this whole leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea and Samaria. Let's say for whatever reason that Richmond, Richmond becomes the hotbed for stopping Christianity. Whatever it takes, the Christian movement stops right here and, and, and right now. And so, man, they, they come in here today and they, they grab a couple of us and cart us out to the front yard and they kill us. We, we come back next Sunday, and oddly enough, we're down in attendance next Sunday. <laughs> and we think, oh, no, man, look at everybody's scared. They won't, they won't come back. And, but then you know what? We start talking because, you know, I mean, obviously, we're trying to figure some things out, right? We, we've had some friends killed. We've got a lot of people missing, and I guess they're scared. But when, they, well, wait a minute. No, uh, you know, Bob and Sue, no, they're, the reason they're not here is they were arrested. Hey, you know, Joe, no, he, he, he was arrested. Oh, you know what? Uh, Linda was arrested. And, you know, we just start sharing about people we know. And we realize, hey, maybe the reason we're down in numbers today isn't because everybody's scared. And we start adding it up. And we have hundreds of people who've been arrested since we were here last Sunday. So we pray for them. And, and we leave here and head to our cars. And you can, can't you understand how natural it would be to have this kind of conversation uh, around the Sunday afternoon lunch, you know, maybe something like, hey, uh, you know, honey, this isn't going on in Roanoke. And, and your mom lives there. She's been wanting us to come live with her and, you know, kind of declining in health and wants us to, maybe, maybe now's a good time to go live with your mom. Maybe now's a good time to go, go take care of her. Hey, you know what, man, I, you know, I've been wanting to make a job change. And, uh, man, I hear some exciting things are happening down in Raleigh. There's a lot of jobs, a lot of good money. Maybe now's the time to go to Raleigh. I mean, we, you know, our friends are being arrested. Our friends are, are dying. We got kids here. May, maybe, you see how natural that would be to start having that discussion and, and so the church is kind of fleeing to these other cities and we think, oh, man, the enemy is one. That the, the persecution is working. But that's not what it said, is it? Well, what does it say in verse 4? It says, as I moved to Raleigh, as I moved to Roanoke, I was carrying the gospel. You know, the word it says there is preach. Probably in our context, not the best word. I mean, that is the word. But you and I, in our culture, we, we interpret that word preach as something that a person does on Sunday morning in a pulpit, right? This doesn't mean they all became preachers in a pulpit. Another way of defining that word there would be proclaim. As they met their new neighbors, they were proclaiming. As they met the mailman, they were proclaiming. As they had these new co-workers that they were working with. Man, what brought you to Raleigh? Well, man, things are getting crazy up there in Richmond. And hey, we're, we're followers of Christ. Of who? Yeah, Jesus. Have you not heard about them? And that, that's what's happening. And so this very thing that they thought was going to stop the church has inspired its growth. Has inspired its spread. You know, I love this story. It reminds me. It, it reminds me of Psalm chapter 2. And I love this. And I, probably the reason it reminds me of Psalm chapter 2 is because of that word ravage. 
why, why, do the, why do the nations rage? Why do peoples plot in vain? He who sits in the heavens, what does he do? He laughs. Who do you think the enemy is? Who's the enemy to your home, to your life? Who's the enemy to, to Christianity? A person, a plan, a nation? Folks, God's not worried. God's not sweating. God's not wondering how we're going to get through this. God, and I don't know if this makes you feel uncomfortable or comfortable, God laughs. It's just not a big deal to him what the enemy is doing. Do you realize not only did they not stop the church, they actually moved the church to obedience. As all these people are leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea and Samaria and preaching the word, they're doing what God said to do all along. I mean, look at it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. And guess what Acts chapters 1 through 7 is about? The spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. Guess what Acts chapter 8 9 is about? The spread of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. Acts 10 and beyond. The spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This, what, what's happening is, is God's plan. It's designed. Now, we might take a little warning here. If you and I become comfortable sitting on the gospel. If we become comfortable not sharing the gospel. God will find something to get us up and going. God will get us a way to get to where we need to be. So Acts chapter 8 then, from verse 4 on, is going to be this different stories, different things taking place as the gospel spreads throughout Judea and Samaria. I want to read one of those stories. Look with me at Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Acts 8 verse 26 says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official uh, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, and it's from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. 
You know, I, I love that story. It, it really is one of my favorites. I mean, it's not ever going to get the billing that Moses parting the Red Sea is going to get, is it? It's probably not going to be listed among the and Jesus walked on water stories. But I think it is such a profound story. I think there's so many things for you and I as believers to grasp and learn um, from these two guys in the story. When I think of, of Philip here, we, we could do a message today on being sensitive to God speaking into our lives, being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We were talking last week about the Holy Spirit, and now we see, boy, when somebody's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they're hearing, they're, they're being directed, but we could talk about what that looks like, how we develop that in our lives. So we're kind of like this guy Philip here. Or maybe we could take Philip's life as just an encouragement to, man, be looking for opportunities to witness. I I think sometimes we almost, you know, if I get backed into a corner and somebody says, share the gospel with me, then we'll do it. But, But Philip's not backed into a corner, is he? No, he's actually trying to create a way, create an opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And so we, we might talk about that. You know, a couple of uh, Sundays ago, we talked about being a witness for the Lord. And you remember I said you can do it with one sentence? Sometimes we don't share the gospel because I don't know a long presentation. I don't, I don't have a list of answers for these various questions. I don't maybe have a bunch of verses memorized. And, and so in our mind, being a witness is so big and I don't have a grasp for that. And I said, hey, you're being a witness when you use one sentence. A sentence like, hey, would you like to join me at church next week? Or somebody shares something going on in their life and say, hey, I want you to know something. I'm going to pray for you every day for the next week. I mean, when you say, I'm going to pray for you, aren't you saying something about your faith, your hope? You're you're, you're being a witness for Jesus. With one sentence, you can be a witness. What did we just see Philip do with one sentence? He said, well, yeah, but then the guy asked him a question and he had to explain Isaiah and a whole bunch of other verses. Okay, so yeah, you caught me. We might not feel up to that task. But think about what his one question is. And and think about, am I asking these kinds of questions? Because all his question is really doing is saying, is there a way I can serve you? Is there a way I can help you? I think maybe he took the context of the moment, just like you would at work or school. And in that moment, you, 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 may, you might make it a little bit more specific in how you say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? But it won't happen every time. It may not even happen half the time. But you know what, folks? When you're serving and helping, it opens the door for the gospel. It, it, it opens the door for being a witness. So you see, we could use Philip's life there in a couple ways to develop those ideas. Uh, man, our Ethiopian. Gosh, we, we, hey, we could sure develop an idea here about baptism, and a whole lot of Southern Baptist pastors have over the years. You know, it's kind of crazy. When, when, you know, we look at all of the denominationalism uh, in, in church history and, and around the world, and why we break ourselves up into these different groups in the church. And there's, I think sometimes there's a, a couple of good reasons that happens, and then there's mostly a lot of bad reasons that happens, right? But did you know that a lot of the original divide was over baptism? You would think, how hard is this? How, how, how simple is this? A lot of denominations got started over how they were going to do baptism, and, and, you know, what you, so we'd say, okay, well, hey, look, we've got a mode here. We've got a, a method here of being baptized. Did you notice the language? It said that, that Philip and the Ethiopian got out of the chariot, and they did what? They went, they went down into the water. It's very hard to go down into the water without getting wet, isn't it? 
They went down in the water, and then what did it say? They came up out of the water. And we might wonder, gosh, I wonder why they did it that way. Well, oddly enough, maybe they were following Jesus. Because when we watch Jesus get baptized, it says John and Jesus got into the river, and they went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. So, you know, we actually have a model that we're following. This isn't something we made up, and this is what our church does. No, we're, we're following a New Testament model, and you're, well, what are the other models? There are none. There is no other example of how people are baptized than this one that is shown to us over and, and over. So we could, well, we could develop a sermon on that. You know, maybe again, even more, still in the idea of baptism, uh, what I love about this Ethiopian is just his heart and attitude. What a picture for a brand new believer. You know, I mean, basically what he's saying there is, how can I right now identify with Christ? How can I show the world that I belong to him? You remember last week we talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit. We said one of the meanings of baptism, well, one of it is to dip or immerse. But the other meaning of the word baptism is to identify with. So he's saying, hey, I want to get baptized. You know what he's saying right away? I mean, obviously he's just come to faith in Christ, hadn't he? And he's saying, hey, listen, how do I, where do I, can I right now identify with Christ? I want to show the world I belong to him. Do you think that's something we just do in the waters of baptism? Or is that something we're looking to do in every conversation, in every relationship, in every situation of life? How do I show the world who I belong to? Man, what an, what an attitude the, the Ethiopian here gives us. So there's at least four messages, and I'm not even doing those. Hey, look at him. What? He's not even started yet? Well, you know what? Maybe I... Uh, Maybe I am picking on that fourth one a little bit and, and developing it. I, I tell you something, I, I am a friend. I want to be a friend of this Ethiopian eunuch. I, I, I want to be a friend of who he is and what he shows us in following Christ. And when I say he shows us, who put the Ethiopian there for you and I to interact with today? God did. God put him in the story. God put him here so that on October 6, 2019, you and I would be talking about him. So folks, it is God who wants us to see something about the heart and the life of, of, of this man from Africa. And what does he show us? You know, again, you go back to that, just that simple phrase, you know, there's water, what prevents me? Now that's kind of in that language and, and how they would say it in that day. I think if we were to make that very contextual to our day and time, you know what he just said right there? Why not here? Why not now? Why not, why not right here and why not right now? I, I love that passion. I love, listen to this, that love. Because you see, what, Eth- what the Ethiopian is showing us is not just obedience. And by the way, I rarely put the word just in front of obedience. Obedience is a big deal, isn't it? That's always a big deal. So why would you say just obedience? You know what, folks? I can obey somebody that I hate. I can obey somebody that I, I don't dislike at all. I, I, I respect who they are. I respect their authority. I, I respect their right to say do this or don't do this. And, and so I obey. But I, I think what the Ethiopian is showing us is an obedience that flows out of love. Because he's not just showing us obedience. He's showing us an eagerness. You know, when you're eager 
to do something. That's because you love somebody. That, that, that's a passion there when you say, man, I'm, I, am, I am eager to do this right here and right now. I don't just want to figure out what the Lord wants from me one day. I want to figure out what the Lord wants from me today. Now, I, I tell you something, I, I think this attitude may be kind of like one of those secrets to the Christian life. The secrets to living effectively and powerfully for God. You know, you think, Ben, you're really making a lot there out of a pretty simple little phrase. Well, fair enough. Let, let's see if maybe there's some other passages that would back up this idea. Like one that would come to my mind would, would be James four seventeen. Hey, when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. When you know the right thing to do and you say, boy, that's a good idea. Boy, that is right. Boy, I really need to do that. But for whatever reason, I don't actually end up doing it. Because that happens, doesn't it? it? Like all the time, like every single Sunday. Boy, I agree with that. Boy, I understand that. Boy, that's a... When you know, when you know God has spoken, when you know God is saying to do something and you're not doing it, but I'm going to, yeah, but you're not. That's, that's a sin, Deuteronomy 32, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, don't what? Don't delay. Again, what did the Ethiopian just say? I don't want to just know what to do one day. I want to know what to do today. Folks, I think what the scripture shows us is that a delayed obedience. I mean, I fully intend on obeying. I I know I need to do that and I'm going to do it. But when the delay starts taking over, that's just sin. It's not obedience to agree. It's not obedience to say, boy, that's, that's right and that's good. And boy, I sure should and they sure should and we sure should. And we just keep saying should, but no happening is happening. And we, we want to be, don't we want to be eager in obeying our Lord? You know, when we obey him, we're not doing something for him, right? God has a need and he can't get it met until you and I obey. God's trying to get something done and he can't get it done until we obey. Folks, obedience is for you. That's what the scripture says over and over. Obedience is is a path to a life of strength. It's the path to a life of blessing. That's what God wants for you, strength and blessing. He wants you operating in your world tomorrow from strength and blessing. Do, Do we? Do we want that for us? So as I look at all these passages, I, I think what it's saying to us is that the time to forgive is right now. Now, I, I don't actually know who I'm talking to when I say that, but you know who you are. And I, I, you know, I've said this now for three services across two campuses and people watching online. I mean, folks, we all, hey, we all know humanity. We all know relationships and what's going on. There's always somebody to forgive. I'd be shocked if the people who've heard this message today, if we don't have at least a hundred people that very specifically have an issue in their life where right now what God is saying to them is, you you need to forgive. The, The time to forgive is right now. The time to ask for forgiveness, it's right now. The the time to give to God what is God's, it's it's right now. The, 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 time to, the time to come to Christ. It's right now. 
I mean, Jesus said, today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not yesterday, today. That's how you're to view it. Today is my day. I don't, I mean, I have to say baptism, right? The time to be baptized, right here, right now. That's what God just put in front of us. That's how we're supposed to be responding to that idea. The time to serve your neighbor is right now. Folks, you, you do realize for the last two months, you've watched a video every single Sunday about one of you. One of you out there being the church on your street, being the church in your community. And you know what we do? We, we watch this, and I say we, maybe I'm just telling on myself. We watch these stories and say, man, that's neat. Boy, that's a good idea. I, you know what? I should do that. And two months later, what's happening? Nothing. You know, folks, I can't imagine that not every single person in this room knows at least one thing God has prompted you, placed on your heart. Don't do this. Stop doing that. You need to start here. You need to get engaged here. You, you, I don't want you being a part of a crowd. I want you connected, a part of the body of Christ. I want you active, engaged, member, serving. Not just looking for a place to sit on Sunday morning, but looking for a place to become a part of what I'm doing in the world. We all have something God has placed on our heart. What are we doing? We're going, what, what, are we going to pray about it? Have you ever thought about what sense that makes? I know God's telling me to do something, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray to him about it. I I think he's already answered. But what do we do? Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going I'm to think about it. Till what? Till we obey? Or until it goes away? The time to do it is today. I don't mean today metaphorically. I mean today. October 6th. 2019. Now, having just said that, there is a timing to some things we might feel God is leading us to do. Let's say God wants me to encourage somebody, pray for somebody, uh, wants me to go and ask for forgiveness from somebody. And boy, pastor, I hear you. You're right. It's right now. It's right here. I get it. I believe. I see what God is saying. I need to do that. Oh my gosh, that person that they're out of town and they're going to be out of town till a week from Tuesday. I don't even have a chance to, to obey that today. What, what do I do? Am I living in sin? Oh, please help me. You say, I can't do that today. Yes, you can. No, you may not be able to go ask for forgiveness today or speak a word of encouragement or tell them. But you know what you can do? On the way out today, you can see one of your close friends. In the car, you can tell your mate, hey, I want you to know something. God's put something on my heart to have a conversation with this person. One, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me the opportunity, the courage, whatever it takes to have that conversation? And number two, would you call me next Wednesday and ask me if I did it? You see, I may not be able to act today on what I know God is calling me to do. You absolutely can take a step that commits you to that course, right? I don't, I don't think there's anything God is telling you right now that you would be able to say, I'm not supposed to do anything about that today. Folks, when God speaks, everyone... Now, somebody in here might say, well, I, 
I don't think I have anything that God's told me to do right now. Shh, don't tell anybody that. You're just confessed that you don't listen to God at all. You know, I guarantee you, probably, if we were to take a poll, probably the majority would think, I think God speaks to people like maybe once or twice a year. No, he speaks to you every single day. His desire is for you to know his voice, his promptings, his movement in your life every single day. What was the Ethiopian doing? He was just reading God's word. Did you have God's word open this week? Because if you were looking into God's word, then you were hearing his voice. I mean, maybe that, maybe that can be our assignment this week is, is when I read the Bible, and let's read the Bible, right? When I read the Bible, I'm going to close it and say, God, based on what I just read, what do I know you want me to do today? And give me the faith, give me the, the strength. Maybe I should have just put a blank up there because I guess depending on what the Lord might be leading us to do would be the thing we need to, to pray to go with it. But whatever we're looking for, faith, strength, opportunity, aren't we mostly looking for love? Lord, could I love you enough that my passion is today? My passion is today to obey you, not one day, two day. The amazing thing is we're obeying him. It's my, it's my life that is strengthened. It's, it's my life that is blessed. Do, do we want that for our lives? Let, let's pray. Let's, let's a little bit different this morning as, as we've bowed our heads and we're beginning to pray. Instead of me leading us in a prayer, why don't you just take a moment and talk to the Lord? And I'm saying that somewhat under the assumption that every one of us knows something that God's been prompting us. God's been placing on our heart. It, it may be something we've heard two, three times over the last two, three years. Just take a moment and talk to the Lord about that. If you actually feel like God has told you absolutely nothing, then use this time to say, God, what's the one thing today I need to do in my next step of following you? You take a moment and just talk to the Lord about this. Lord, I get, I get, I'm just being honest here. I get kind of excited thinking, thinking about what it could mean to, to us as individuals, to what it could mean to us as a gathered body of Christ to have thousands upon thousands of acts of obedience taking place today and tomorrow and, and this week ahead. I, I get excited thinking about the strength and the blessing that, that results in our lives. And again, individually and as a church family. Oh Lord, when one of us is blessed, we're all blessed. When one of us is stronger, we're all stronger. I pray it would be such. I pray we would look at our church family that way, that we're that connected. Oh, God, may it be so. From this moment, over the next 24, 48, 72 hours, may there be thousands upon thousands of acts of obedience flowing out of the family 
that we call the Heights Baptist. We ask this, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.